Welcome to Totally Lit, a monthly podcast celebrating all things words. If you love reading, writing or creating books and stories, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Kai. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Hope you're well. Happy Leap Day as it's the 29th of February on the day I'm recording. I'm very excited to bring an interview to you today with the wonderful Elisa Darlison. Elisa lives on the beautiful Sunshine Coast in Queensland. She loves the animals, the bird life, the greenery and the beaches that she has on the sunny coast. Elisa feels lucky to live there with her husband and four children. Her most favourite thing in all the world, besides chocolate, is writing. She writes picture books, chapter books and novels for children in the contemporary, fantasy and non-fiction genres. Elisa's story themes include courage, love, understanding, anti-bullying, self-belief, friendship and teamwork. She has won several awards for her writing and has had numerous short stories, articles and book reviews published in anthologies, magazines and newspapers. When not writing or running after her kids, she's usually travelling all around the place, delivering talks, workshops at libraries, schools, bookstores, community groups, writer centres and at literary festivals. Elisa has a real soft spot for animals, and you'll find lots of them in her stories. Some of her favourite animals are meerkats, sloths, llamas and red pandas. Hi, Elisa Darlinson. How are you today? Welcome to Totally Lit. I'm good, thanks, Kai. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm very excited to be chatting with you today. Oh, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And I hear that you've got some exciting uh, projects coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yep, I've got a few things. Um, I always have a few things on the boil. Um, But my major project is the League of Llamas series. It's a a comedy series, a junior fiction series for six to eight-year-olds, and that's published with Penguin Random House. So there's going to be four books in those series. In that series, I have just received my advanced copies too. Um, wow! So I know I'm very excited. So books books one and two are out on the third of March, and then books four and five will be out in um, July, I think it is. So I'm about to start doing all of my school visits and talking about llamas all the way around Australia and even I'm going to Singapore as well, which is really great for the Australian Festival, sorry, the Asian Festival of Children's Content. So exciting. It is, it is. It's going to be a really big year of me, a year for me, hopefully the year of the llama. And that's going to be huge. I also have a book coming out with Big Sky. That's junior fiction. It's called Space Kids. And three picture books with an educational publisher in, um, they're based in Hong Kong. And the picture books are about the environment. So one's called Aristotle's Message. And Aristotle is a little plastic bottle who gets lost in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, I love playing with words as well. And then we've got Rainy Days, which explains to very young children about rain. So it's a really sweet, cute little story. And then the other one is Red, Blue, Green, and that is a book I wrote quite some time ago, a story I wrote some time ago, and I've worked and reworked it, and um, it's going to be published uh, this year, and it's about a little character who's blue, a little character who's red, and they live on an island, and then all of a sudden, green appears, and it causes all sorts of problems between red and blue, because there'd never been any green before. And you might be able to guess what green is. Um, Once you see the cover, you will. But um, 
Yeah, so red, blue, green is the story, and it's about friendship, forgiveness, and also the environment. Beautiful. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Now, I noticed that your llama has a bit of a, a Farrah Fawcett do on the cover. <laughs> he has a very luxuriant fringe, which sometimes can get him into trouble. He's a very handsome llama, dangerously handsome. His name is Philippe Lamar. And all of the llamas in my books, they've got the double L's in their first name. So there's Philippe. There's Eloise, she gets cover number two. Uh, Lloyd will get cover number three. Uh, and then four goes back to Philippe as he um, becomes a rogue llama. So he's got this beautiful, luxuriant fringe. Sometimes mm. he goes on holiday to resorts and he gets it all braided. Sometimes he dyes it. Yeah, so it features quite a bit in the stories, actually. And is he like llama, Philippe llama? Is he a James Bond type? He is. He yes. is. He's like a, a llamaized James Bond, but a little bit more conceited, a little bit more clumsy, but he still gets his man in the end, or llama. More conceited than Bond. That's <laughs> amazing. We're set by high. I'll have to send you a copy so you can have a read. Yes, you can make please. laugh out loud. Because it's League of Llamas, which is lol, and that's the little branding on the other side as well, laugh out loud. Oh, I love it. There's a lot of word puns in the stories too, yeah. That was a question I was going to ask you. Um, as the book does say, there will be a lot of laughs in the reading that I've done about it. Is that something that you like to put into your work, having humour for kids? Absolutely. I think making kids laugh is um, a much better thing than making them cry. Mm. Um, certainly the sound of their laughter is more pleasant than their crying. Having four kids of my own, I know how bad that is. So, yes, I do like to make children laugh. And, you know, sometimes books can be really serious and there is a time and place for serious. I've written those myself. myself. But I just wanted to create stories that kids would really enjoy and think were fun and to give them a laugh. And it gives them that bit of escapism as well. So a lot of my workshops this year as well, when I'm traveling around to schools, I'm going to be teaching children how to write mystery and spy stories, but also humor. And look at all those different styles of humor you can build into a story. It's a bit of a skill. Um, you know, there are some authors and presenters who are so funny just naturally. It's just amazing how funny they are. And I love to laugh myself. But sometimes there are things that you have to work on. And I think writing humour, there are so many different styles to it other than just the toilet humour that mm. some authors <laughs> might use. You know, we fall back on. Oh, there's a bit of toilet humour in my books as well. But I've tried to extend myself and give kids a laugh in many different ways as well. And there's kind of these layers. I love building layers into my stories. And I think when adults read it, they will get some of the laughs as well. Maybe the children won't or vice versa. You know, it's kind of like watching Toy Story. Have you seen mm. those movies? Um, where adults can go and watch the movie as well as kids. So I think adults should get a bit of a laugh out of um, the Llama series as well. And is that a process that is hard for you to put that humour in or is it something that comes naturally to you? Some people think I'm funny. Some people don't. Um, I like to think I'm funny. I like to think I can write funny, obviously. I, I've you know, written quite a few stories that have humour in them. My Totally Twin series had quite a bit of humour in it as well. I think once you have the character, that's when you know they're going to act a certain way and do certain things in various situations. I also, having 
you know, having four children and a husband who do things that make me laugh all the time, I just steal those little tidbits. Mm. I steal those little, you know, those little um, nuggets of gold humour and put them into my stories. I am absolutely shameless about that. And when my family read the stories, they'll go, oh, is that what I did there? And they can (laughs) recognise themselves. So I think if you look at life in a funny way, I think that's what comedians do. Mm. You know, you can be sitting there listening to them telling their story of their childhood and it might be a really sad childhood if they weren't telling it in such a humorous way. So I think if you look at things in a funny way in the world around you, that can flow into your stories and it might make it a little bit easier for you, yeah. And do you workshop your stories with your family or where do you get the feedback that 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 humor is working for you? Sometimes I will. Um, My daughter who's 12, she will read my manuscript She's probably the beta reader. She's one of the first readers. So she's a real test uh, for me and she'll get things and find them funny. Sometimes I'll workshop them and, you know, we'll be driving somewhere or walking somewhere and I'll say, oh, I'm trying to do this. Have you got any ideas that you can help me with? Do you think this is working? Do you think something else would work better? And, you know, often they'll come up with some really great suggestions a lot of it is obviously off my own bat and just um, applying the bum glue, as Bryce Courtney would say, and just working mm-hmm. through it. Sometimes it flows. Sometimes you've really got to work at it. And, of course, then I work with um, an amazing editor at Penguin Random House as well, Lindsay Hodder, and she would see where I could build in funny a bit more uh, and so I could, you know, uh, really, I guess, use her ideas or inspiration in certain spots to to really um, pump up the humour, yeah. I um, rely when I write on my natural talent, but it is a problem when I then have to go back and work on something. Um, And so I'm very interested in the process of other authors about how many times they draft, how long is it taking them to work on it, how much input do they take from their editors and publishers and their family um, because, yeah, I've really just been writing it. Yep, that's good, but now as I grow as an author, I need to be doing more of the work and and becoming better, I guess. It's a process. It, it is, and um, not every story is just going to flow absolutely perfectly. And there is going to be no perfect manuscript that you hand into a publisher either. There's always more editing that can be done. In this book, the first book in the series, The Golden Llama, I wrote that several years ago and it was much longer. I've been asked to shorten it. You know, it went through so many different various lengths and versions before it really hit the mark. And you can't. For me, you know, at some stage, I guess I was happy with it, but that was writing in isolation. It wasn't until I could talk to a professional um, like Holly Tui at Penguin Random House, the publisher there, uh, that she was able to say, okay, well, it fits this market more, so it's got to be this length and, you know, you need to do this, that and the other thing. So having that guidance really helps. Editing would not be all the time what I call my favourite thing to do but editing is so essential and you know I I would have to write these manuscripts over and over and over and over to get them of a publishable standard you know Um, 
So it just it just takes time. It takes time, patience, care, and looking at things from a different angle to get it spot on. But I think we're there. I'm really, really happy with how the stories present. And when I was, that, that's the funny thing, when I was editing them and still laughing at my jokes, <laughs> that, that's a good sign. Yes, you know, it gave yes. me a giggle and I could get the image in my mind, what my characters were doing. So I thought at that point, I'm doing something right here. And do you ever get that feeling, do you know when it's finished in, in terms of, or is that something that you always feel that you can go, you still keep going back to it? No, I think I can recognise when it's finished. I mean, when you're writing a series and with deadlines, there have to be certain parameters. So you have to work incredibly hard to meet those deadlines. You only have a certain amount of words. You've got to have structure. So as funny as the books are, there are there is this underlying structure and these requirements that you have to hit. So, no, I'm, I'm happy with um, knowing where my manuscript is finished, but, you know, that's not the case for every book. That's not the case for every manuscript that I've written. There are still some that need more work. I think it, with experience, you'll recognise it too. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, through Greenleaf, I run lots of competitions. I do a lot of mentoring and assessments, and I, I mean, it teaches me so much um, just doing that, seeing that other side of the process. I can see when a manuscript needs more work, but sometimes authors are so close to their yeah, own work. Yeah. It's hard to not be invested in it in, yeah. in a way where it's your little baby and yeah. you're like, oh, it's done, and then someone yeah. else looks at it and goes, no, it's not done. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's see how we can make it better. I just think time and experience and a bit of patience allows you to see that better and um it's that in that education about how to write properly and you know I love learning things every single day if I'm not learning something then it's it's not a full complete day because there's so much to learn about writing that's the thing I mean how long is a piece of string it's amazing it's just it's endless but I think with experience authors will see that too and you know you put the manuscript away and you go back to it two years later and you go oh my goodness did I, did I really write this did I really send it to every publisher out there and expect them to publish it you know you can recognize the faults as you grow as an author you know? now you do a lot of work with colleagues um, mentoring and providing platforms uh, for writers to develop can you tell us a little bit about Greenleaf and, and- what you do with that? Uh, well, Greenleaf was established in a way, I think, to create opportunities for other authors. I know exactly how hard it is. I mean, it took me three years to get my first contract. It's been 10 years since I've been published, and I've had 50 books published in that time. So I've got a lot of experience with different publishers, different throughout the industry, all the talks and workshops, and I have had people coming to, and still do, people come to all the time asking for advice and there's nowhere for them to find the answers. There's there's no author school. There's no place to learn all of these things. So I thought I'm going to draw this all together and I'm going to offer them opportunities. Authors desperately need work. They need paid jobs because, you know, sometimes just creating books, writing books, publishing books for an author, it doesn't support their families and one way we can earn money is by our public presentations schools libraries festivals preschools so i wanted to set up an agency to help them 
I mean, the first time I was published, I was told, oh, you'll have to wait three years before we'll rep- even bother representing you and sending you out to schools. So there's these kind of huge barriers to entry for authors. Then there's my competitions. And I know it's kind of like the lifeblood of the industry, these competitions that inspire authors that provide them with opportunities that get them writing and that give them those little credits on a writer's cv which are so incredibly important when i started out i heard arena dunn who used to head up writing new south wales the new south wales writers center i heard her speak at um sydney writers festival and she said you need 20 writing credits for a publisher to even start to take notice of you you know, you need that kind of experience. I just took a deep breath. I've only got two, I think. <laughs> You're on your way. It's a journey. So, and obviously, you know, some people don't have 20 writing credits before they get published and all that sort of thing. But that's kind of a standard that I guess she was upholding for us to to aim for. So where do writers get those opportunities? Well, if people like me, if companies like Greenleaf aren't offering those opportunities, you can't get feedback you can't have achievements uh, that you can add to your cv so there's that kind of thing then of course there's the retreat now i have always loved the idea of being able to go on a writing retreat so me being the type of person i am i thought well if it's not there for me i'm going to make it and i'm going to make it for other people and that retreat takes me a whole year to organize so many things logistically to work out but once i get there I enjoy it as well, even though I've had to organise everything. And I enjoy seeing all the people networking and learning and all these light bulbs are just going on in the room and there's such excitement. So that gives me great joy. I absolutely love that. I have been to one of your retreats and the connection and the community that is there, people form lifelong friends at your retreats. And there's also professional opportunities, friendships, and and learning from each other. Yeah, it's really a precious opportunity for a new author to come to those style of events. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. We're in our fourth year this year, and you you've put it in a nutshell. Those friendships and the networking are lifelong. We've had people picked up um, for publication deals from the publisher meetings as well, learning from each other, the support. Um, It is just a wonderful environment, fantastic opportunity. So I I find it really exciting. And, of course, I always try to pick a really lovely venue as well. And then with the mentoring and assessments as well and editing services that we provide at Greenleaf, honestly, we've had 15 to 20 manuscripts picked up by publishers in the last two two years or That's so. That's incredible. It is incredible. We are helping people get published. Uh, it's very exciting. I know exactly what it's like to get that first contract. You know, I, I think coming from the author side of things and going into the business has enabled me that insight of what, <laughs> what works best for authors, what they need, what they should be given including respect and and support and help. So if that is just, Greenleaf has just grown and grown and um, I'm very, very lucky to be able to help so many other people on their journey and to witness and be involved in their excitement and their joy when their book babies come out. That must be such a pleasure to be involved with that process. I'm still on that other end where I'm submitting and waiting for the emails and a few people said, oh, just self-publish. And I'm like, no, 
my first one is is going to be traditional and I will keep working hard till till I get there so yeah I I guess thank you for supporting all of the authors that you're supporting in that way oh um, I absolutely love it and you know I'm making connections with so many other authors as well in the industry and um, it just means you know anywhere I go there's a friendly face so it does take time. It's like serving your apprenticeship, learning your craft. It does take a few years, but it's worth it. And, um, you know, things will change in a huge, huge way once you cross over that border and become published. Your whole life will change and the way you look at things and, you know, I guess the way you feel about yourself too, if that's a goal that you've set for yourself when you achieve that publication goal, You'll be glowing, yeah. So you just got to keep chipping away. That's all. That's all we do. Persistence. You know, I went to a workshop when I first started out with Di Bates. She's amazing. She's published over a hundred books. One of the very first workshops I went along to, and she just laid it all down and told us how it was meant to be. I mean, if there was an author school, that was the school to go to, and that really set me on the path. If you haven't been to a workshop like that, then you're kind of lost in the woods. You really do need to know what you're getting yourself into and, you know, what to expect. So the more you can educate yourself um, on being an author and a writer and, you know, the business of being an author, I think it, the easier it becomes and just having thick skin and persistence. Yes. Well, well, I have to say uh, when I last met with you at your retreat, you introduced me to a fellow author this is Kylie, she is an author, and that was such a thrill for me that to have um, just feel accepted by other authors. And I'm like, yes, I'm getting there step by step. (laughs) But just the respect and um, the community um, is lovely, like everyone supporting each other in that way. It's great. I think it should be that way, especially um, children's writers are often like that. I'm not sure about adult authors. I think like romance writers and that, they're all very inclusive. It shouldn't be about keeping people out. It should be about including them. And I felt the same when I was starting out. My little business cards that I got, I just put freelance writer. You know, I was too nervous to put author. But things have turned around these days. You know, it's about creating your author platform, telling people you're an author and you become the author. I think that's part of the secret, isn't it? The book about the secret. It, you know, if you build it, it will yes. it will come kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think you do have to create your own opportunities in many ways, but also, yeah, just just doing the work and getting there. Um, are you happy to share with us how you became an author? Uh, yes. Yep. Um, okay. So rewind. I. Um, won some writing competitions when I was 16. I was publishing an anthology of um, students' works and I won an, a, a competition run by Apple Computers and it was $10,000 worth of computers for my school and it was just a short story and that really showed to me what I could do with my writing. I was studying, I don't know, three or four unit English. I had to do it extracurricular because I was at a school in the country that, you know, had four students in that extension English class. I, I just loved books. I loved all the classics. So I told everyone I wanted to be a writer at 16. They said, it's too hard, you'll never make it, give up. So I did because that was all of the advice that I was And we I was always given. believe it, don't we? Yes, we do. It's terrible. I, I, 
I don't think there were as many pathways back then. I don't think being published was quite as accessible, particularly growing up in the country and not having kind of any any connections to publishers or other authors. So I moved to Sydney, I put myself through uni, studied marketing, got a job in uh, finance, you know, finished my degree, loved it, travelled and everything, but in the background I was always writing poems, romance novels, everything. Like I didn't realise that I could actually turn my hobby, my passion, what I was pouring myself into, into an actual career. I just had not had the proper support, encouragement and guidance. I was so naive about it. Then I started having children. I thought, oh, I'll be a full-time (laughs) mum. But I needed stimulation. So I started entering those 25 words or less competitions. Have you ever done those? Flush fiction is my jam. Right, right. Well, these were like competitions where you could win prizes and they were everywhere. And like opportunities are everywhere, I started seeing 25 words or less competitions. So because I spreadsheet everything, I'm a a bit like that. Um, I... The first year, first 12 months, I won $11,000 worth of prizes. The second year, I was halfway through and I was about to, I was about up to $4,500 worth of prizes. I'll just interrupt to explain to the listeners that my jaw has dropped open. They won't be able to see that, <laughs> but that is amazing. Oh my goodness. I just wanted to contribute to the household, yeah, because I'd always had a job. And I needed a bit of mental stimulation. And I was kind of dabbling and, you know, researching historical novel and writing very terrible picture book manuscripts at this time. I think I've just started doing that too. But the 25 words or less competitions, I would take the kids out. And if I got back and there wasn't a package on my front doorstep, I was disappointed. (laughs) I was winning so many prizes, all these little things you could win. And I thought, 25 words, hang on a minute. I'm borrowing stacks and stacks of picture books for my kids. If I cannot write a picture book, there's something wrong with me. I can win 25 words or less competitions. I started, you know, going to workshops like Di Bates' workshop. I um, set up a couple of children's uh, feedback uh, groups at um, uh, New South Wales Writers' Centre back now. It's back then. It's the Writing New South Wales now. So every fortnight we'd be meeting, sharing our manuscripts and everything. And I got a few stories published in the school magazine. I mean, back then they paid $500 for a 2,000-word story. That was like gold. I started winning competitions, but I couldn't get a book deal. And other friends in my group were getting published. You might know Oliver Pomavan. He's very well known. He's got multiple books out now, Penguin Random House, Jenny Hale. Others were getting book deals, and I'm thinking, what is wrong with me? I can win little competitions. So, you know, I did start to doubt myself because over that time it took three years to get my first picture book contract. And then after that, not long after that, I got offered a two-book deal with New Frontier, which turned into a four-book deal. Then I got another picture book and another one, and my first actual book to come out was a picture book with Wombat Books, Puggles Problem. My first contracted book took four years to make, and it was my 16th book published, even though it was the first contract I received. Wow. Yeah, I I mean, sometimes you have to wait and be very patient in publishing, or should I say all the time? Um, (laughs) So once I had one book out, then that's my platform, and I felt like I had finally achieved what I, you know, had set out to. I was very surprised. Shocked, amazed, surprised. And then the other deals started coming, and it's just gone from there. 
So very, very exciting. But like you said before, you have to chase the opportunities. You have to find the opportunities. So I would have my eyes peeled for opportunities all the time where I could submit. I'm very impatient. I have been feeling a bit low about where I am with my writing. But really, I've only been trying for 12 months to get published. Um, so when I hear other people's stories, I'm like, oh, you've got to be more patient, Kylie. Just take it slowly. It will happen when it's the right time. But certainly it won't happen if I'm not submitting either. So It certainly will not. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not just your lead times or your time that you need to take to write and submit. Publishers take time to get back to you as well. They're not just working on unsolicited manuscripts and, you know, reading stuff coming in. They are literally working on multiple titles each month to get them out to the market. So there's that kind of part of the process that slows things down. But you just have to keep writing and writing in every spare moment that you can. I mean, I would print my picture book manuscripts or chapters out and if I'm stopped at the traffic lights, I will edit and read them then. Or if I'm on a bus or a train, I'll be writing and rewriting my stuff there every spare moment. It does take time. 12 months is, is barely anything. I know people who started at the same time as me and you know, it took them five, seven, ten years to get published. It's, it's a matter of time and place, a bit of luck on your side. I had over 400 rejections before I got my first acceptance. So that's you know, not, yeah, not winning a competition, not wanting to publish a book, etc. So the more you write, the more you send, the more yeses you will get. You'll get no's but the more yeses you'll get. So, you know, and some authors subscribe to different theories. They just want to work on one novel and finish that, but others will have a novel and maybe other shorter works so they can, you know, bounce from one to the other. And it is important that you finish the manuscript too <laughs> to a certain point where you feel confident and that you're putting your best foot forward. <sighs> I know, I don't really want to mention OCD, but I just like to call it organised. So that's helpful in writing? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I won an ASA mentorship with Kate Forsyth and she said, because, I mean, she writes. That would have know, been thrilling. Amazing novels. I love Kate. She's I'm so a fan long. girl. Yeah, she's fantastic. She's so incredibly talented. You know, she's not just writing little picture books. She, she does some of those, but she writes huge adult novels. She can't just jump in and start writing and get lost along the way and not have a plan. Mm. She has to have a plan. She also has a deadline. And, you know, deadlines, we kind of think of this as what authors have when they're working with a publisher, but you should have a deadline when you're just working with yourself. I will print out my calendar, and I, I had diaries filled with calendars, monthly calendars, I know, please don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I will work out how many hours each day I think I've got to write and that's going to tell me how much time I'm actually spending on a book. So say I've got a six-week deadline to write a, a book. I can't leave it to the last two weeks. That's not, that's not going to be a very good book. That might be first draft. I literally need to pace out, okay, I've got four hours on Monday. I might get bang three chapters out four hours on Tuesday, you know, and there are other things that happen. Your life gets in the way. I've got four kids. I have to balance that. I have to travel with all the author stuff. So that cuts into the author time. When you look at it on a piece of paper and see, well, I've only got 12 hours this month to work on my writing, you've got to think how much time are you going to actually 
how many chapters, how many words are you actually going to get on your story? So, you know, life can slow us down a little bit if we don't have that focus, I think, and push ourselves a little bit. Yeah, I, I do believe that planning needs to be key. Um, I'm, I'm a spreadsheet girl as well, and um, I do a lot of planning around um, researching competitions and looking at opportunities and popping them in the calendar and um, learning not to get too wrapped up in if I don't have the time to submit something, going, okay, well, what's the next opportunity rather than going, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm now not creative because I'm trying to meet this deadline, which isn't going to happen. Although in my life, because I work full time and I'm taking care of my sons, there's sometimes where I just have to accept I can only do what I can do. And that's been a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I found planning and also keeping my partner in the loop of what's happening is another way and just keeping things achievable. So if I'm wanting to write, I make sure that I don't get myself wrapped up in a knot about it as well. Yeah, timetables, schedules, very, very important. I mean, if you've got a full-time job, you're supporting a family, you're looking after kids, that all leads into time and energy. So you do have to manage your schedule for your own life as well. It, it's tricky when you're trying to balance so many things. And novels don't just write themselves. They're not short little things. They can be 60 or 80,000 words long. So it's a huge, huge task to get through one. Yeah. I don't know how I'll be when I have um, real deadlines with a contract. <laughs> I'll worry about that when it actually happens. It, it will happen. It will definitely happen, and you will manage it. You you just do. I mean, it's like when you have a baby. You know, before you're having a baby, you're like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to look after this baby? And then they just ease you into it. And then, you know, if you have a second baby, you're like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to manage a toddler and a baby? But you just do. You just manage it whatever way you can. It, life just seems to work out. Um, I keep myself up every night. Like insomnia is a real curse for me. I worry about everything. I think about things. But at the end of the day, I think deep down you've just got to tell yourself it will get done. Everything will be fine. It will get done. Now, you mentioned you've got 50 books. Is that right? Yes, that figure? 650. So where <laughs> do you get your ideas from? 50 books is a lot of stories. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I love I love animals, so you know I've still got a few animals to write about. Um, that gives me lots of ideas. My kids, especially when they were younger, you know, just the things they did and said, and just life around me. My own childhood. I visit a lot of schools, so I see a lot of kids there as well. They give me the funniest ideas. Besides the, can you put me in a story? You know, people watching and observing others. And, oh, my imagination. I don't know why. I've always loved books, always, always loved books. And I think maybe that's helped with my imagination. Maybe it's just this great little part of my brain that I can tap into. I'm very lucky to have it as an author, especially writing for kids. Um, so my imagination. Sometimes I'll be rereading my own stories. I'm like, where did that come I'm like, come from? It's like, really? I made that up? That was my imagination? Oh my goodness, I've tapped into something, you know, unfathomable there. I didn't even realise it was there. So when, often when you're in the zone writing, it just flows. Do you ever find having to 
rack your brain for a story? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and then the funny thing is it'll come when you're in the shower or it'll, become, it'll come when you've got no pens, no nothing, or you've got a pen and no paper so you have to write it on your hand. Um, you know, my phone comes in handy too. I'll voice record things. I've got so many voice recordings on here when I thought, oh, I've got a great idea. So I just collect all my ideas and sometimes I can use them in my stories as well. I have um, in my notes section on my phone all these random little um, reminders I've set myself. Then I go back and I'm like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> the life of the author. Um, when I used to live in Sydney, there was a beautiful park up at Balgala Heights called Tanya Park and it overlooks North Head and out through South Head of the harbour. And I would go walking up there and there's another author. Well, there's quite a few authors who live around there, uh, Felicity Pullman. And I saw her one morning, she's out doing her walk and she'd stopped all of a sudden, she'd pulled out this tiny little notebook and was writing something down. So as she's having this beautiful walk out in nature and raised up high, you know, above the ocean, um, this idea has come to her, obviously, and she's just written it down. So it's funny where inspiration will strike. Now, I'm going to take you back to your retreat. Oh, is this like hypnosis? You're going to take me back. Take back, take you back. (laughs) Think happy thoughts. Yes, um, the retreat is happy because there's some changes coming this year, isn't there? Yeah, there are. Having run it three years straight up at uh, Montville in the hinterland, absolutely stunning venue, as you know, beautiful. Yes. And we have a lot of regulars who come, but we also have new people coming all the time. And I, I wanted to freshen it up for people. You know, I, I think that's important. And those who'd been there before to give them a bit of a different venue and those who are coming for the first time to the Sunshine Coast to perhaps make it a little bit easier for them. So our new venue is the Ramada right on the beach at Marcula, which is oh, it's beautiful and, you know, inspirational for riding and right um, near the airport too because, um, you know, some people driving up, there is a mountain to get up to Montville if you've not been there before, um, listeners. It's um, a bit of a drive, which obviously I did a lot of research for it and driving along Western Avenue towards the retreat venue, you just feel the rest of the world slipping away. Yes, it's amazing, the view. You're just you going to yep. other world. You know, you could just hole up there for a couple of weeks and, and write. It's just so beautiful and inspirational and green and trees and nature and sky. But I wanted to flip it around. So we've changed it. We've changed the program slightly this year as well. So I've got Tim Harris, Belinda Morell and myself coming to present mm-hmm. on three um, really huge topics that can relate to children's, young adults and adults, authors, for people who are at any stage of their career as well. And then we've also provided some writing time. So some of the feedback in in past years, people just desperately want that writing time. So I've built that into the program as well. And, of course, feedback. We have our story circles where people come and read out their work and get feedback, which is so incredibly valuable to developing a piece of work, especially before you submit it. So we've got those kind of really key, exciting elements, kind of the best of the best elements, and in a new venue this year. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. And we've sold quite a few places already. We, we've got some left, which is great, but we have sold quite a few places to repeat, um, repeat retreaters 
and also to new people too. So it's going to be a great year. And what date is the retreat? That's a very good question. Um, it's the 12th to the 15th of November. And if people wanted to book, how could they book? Uh, they can go to greenleafpress.net.au and, you know, or just Google Greenleaf Press or Sunshine Riders Retreat 2020 Sea Change and it will come up. They can book through the website or through Eventbrite. They can also pop us an email at admin at greenleafpress.net.au and um, we've got a payment plan too if you wanted to spread the payments out. So we try to make it as easy as possible for people. And they can come as day visitors, they can stay as residents, they can choose one or two or three days to come. And we also have assessment meetings with um, Christina Schulz, who is um, the ex-publisher at University of Queensland Press. So really great name there, yep. And what date is your Llama books coming out? Those books are coming out on the 3rd of March and they can be pre-ordered if you want to avoid the stampede. Um, they can be pre-ordered from penguin.com.au. So people are pre-ordering those now and they get sent out, you know, to your home address, which is really great. Um, but they're also available from Dimix, Angus and Robertson, Booktopia, all of the, the QBD, all of the best bookshops, of course. So um, we have a – can I just say – on the llama side of things, we have a lot of amazing events coming up. <laughs> I am currently talking to a llama farm, a llama and alpaca farm, about a huge open day they're having down in Canberra. So there's going to be llamas, there's going to be kids. I'm talking to a llama farmer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Absolutely. And I'm having a book launch at Mulaney's Celebration of Books where we will have llamas, llama farmers and donuts and lots of llama books. So can you tell I'm excited? That sounds very exciting. <laughs> oh, that will be great. I'm looking forward to keeping an eye out for that. That's the good part of it for kids. You can have a lot of fun with it, both sides of the writing process. Now, as part of my podcast, um, we try to ask you some quickfire questions to get so that fans and other authors can get to know a little bit more about you. So if I can fire those at you now. What was your favourite book growing up, Elisa? Every single book I ever read, but I will choose one and it would be The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Love oh, it. great. That's amazing, that book. <laughs> and if you could be any book character, who would it be? Oh, that's so hard. So hard. Okay, uh, for modern times, Katniss Everdeen, strong, powerful, empowered girl. Definitely. Girl power. Yeah. And do you have a book on your nightstand that you're reading at the moment? I do, and the name escapes me at the moment, but it's a really good one. Um, oh, I think it's upstairs. Sorry, I surprised you. <laughs> you did. You did. Uh, something, I could run and get it. So, well, look, let me just choose one that's here on my desk. This is really cute. My son loves these books. Oh, my God. He's five. Pig we read, the Fibber. Pig the Fibber. We read a lot of picture books. So Pig the Fibber is on my desk at the moment and it will be on my nightstand this morning tonight we will read that before bedtime he loves his books yes lovely um okay so if you could invite five literary people to dinner who would they be 
Oh, Charles Dickens, yep. Emily Bronte, Jane Austen, uh, George R.R. R. Martin, and let's go with some more R.R.'s, J.R.R. R. Tolkien. All the classics <laughs> there. What a funny combination, yeah. Do you think they would all talk to each other or would they all be introverts? Oh, I don't know. They, I don't know. I'm not sure about the introverts. There could be a bit of talking over each other, who's the most famous and whose books are the best or whose style is the best. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they'd be nice people. Yes. yes. Interesting yeah. people, at least. Mm-hmm. All those brains mm-hmm. in one room. Yeah. Okay, so if you had any advice that you could give to yourself at the beginning of your writing journey, what would it be? I guess brace yourself. It's not always going to be easy, but there are going to be some huge, amazing, amazing, massive highlights. (laughs) There are going to be some amazing highlights but there will be some days <laughs> that things just won't go your way. But you know what? That's life, and you just got to pick yourself up and keep going. Um, it's well worth the ride, definitely. It's hard work, but it is just the most amazing thing. Um, you know, achieving your dreams, whatever you dream of doing, when you when you succeed, that feeling can carry you a long way. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your books, your retreat, your mentoring, and just your llamas with us. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for the chat. I really appreciate it. And hopefully I will see you and some llamas again this year. And I'll send you a copy of League of Llamas, The Golden Llama, so you can have a read of that. And hopefully I'll give you a bit of a giggle. I look forward to it. Thank you. (laughs) All right, cool. Thank you, Kai. Um, I'm Carolyn Floyd and the Sunshine Writers Retreat has really taught me that you can never know everything. You know, you're always learning uh, and there are so many little gems that give you that aha moment uh, and it just continues to keep that momentum going and, and encourage you to keep writing. I'm Helen McBride and this is my third time at the writer's retreat. I came the first time and I learned a lot and I had so much fun that I came back and here I am again and every year it just seems to become more organised, more insightful, love the fellowship of the group, that's huge. But I also have had uh, questions answered, important ones like point of view, what's, what's the depth of point of view, voice. I knew voice wasn't just voice and I've learned what it really is this time so I shall be back thank you <laughs> hello my name's Mark and I live in Mapleton which isn't very far from our Sunshine Coast Riders Retreat here so just to come from Mapleton to Montville is only about a 15 minute drive and so I'm very privileged to be able to attend for the second year as a day visitor so I'm here for two days And I've really enjoyed uh, meeting the authors and illustrators, learning a lot about the writing craft, particularly today's session with Richard Yaxley. I spent a lot of time writing a lot of notes and on character and voice and point of view, uh, how he approaches his characters, how he starts, his beginnings, 
and how he thinks very much about his endings when he writes a novel. I think Richard's wealth of information as a past teacher really shows and as I'm now a retired teacher I have a little bit more time in my life to attend writing conferences, to uh, network, to spend time sitting at my desk penning my picture book or my chapter book. So I think that um, this event, this conference is really well worth coming to. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Ali Kenna. Um, I come to the Sunshine Writers Retreat just to meet other writers and to develop professionally. And I think the number one thing that I get out of a retreat instead of just attending a workshop is the camaraderie with other friends, with other writers. But it's being able to help them, support them in their writing journey, and get that same sort of support back. Your friends will always tell you that you're a great writer, but you need other people to who are not, you know, looking to make you feel better, but you need other people to be honest with you, but that can help you develop and your craft and your confidence. And if I can give that to somebody, that's kind of my goal. That's why I write. I write because I love it, and I think you know, I encourage other people to write because they love it too. Hi, I'm Karen Hendricks, and my favourite thing at the retreat was the high standard of learning um, from all of the presenters. They each had something unique to share, and it also shows you as a writer where you sit in your own learning. And for me, I realise I've got a long way to go and a lot of growth, but it'll give me direction and it gives me hope and it gives me somewhere to go and find those skills and try and hone them. And the other thing was the relationships and the networking. Um, it's invaluable for your friendships and with both your fellow writers and the industry professionals. Um, it's gold for that and it's unbeatable really. Maria Parenti-Baldi. I've come, this is my third year coming to the retreat and I've found that the um, Susan Gervais this time round um, is full of knowledge and expertise and being able to sort of sit and be sit quietly at dinner afterwards and have a chat has been really productive and Richard Yaxley today um, just a whole new insight into uh, point of view on your insight into voice and how much um, what we've been learning over the last couple of days transfers into like YA, middle grade, junior fiction and picture books because the, the structures, although the, although the different genres, the structures are really quite powerful in each of those. You've got to hit each of the sweet notes in each of those for um, the book to work and for readers to read. Hi everyone, it's Inda. So this summer has been a shocker. We've seen drought, fires, dust storms, sweet, sweet rain, and then floods. If there's a picture book that can sing about an Australian summer in a way that still leaves you in high spirits, it might be the one I'm reviewing this month, The Beach Wombat by author Susanna Chambers and illustrator Mark Jackson, published by Ellen and Unwin. The story begins with a sun. It goes, sun on the squeaky sand, sun on the rue, sun on the riverland, sun on me and you. This really takes the little reader into the book, as if they themselves were a little wombat at the start of an adventure, getting cuddles for being brave by a patient mama wombat. And though it must be hard to choose the words that evoke an entire landscape and the right emotions, I think the author, Susanna, does it very elegantly. 
With simple descriptions and well-chosen flora and fauna, she puts forth a narrative that any Australian child and nature lover could recognize and appreciate. And let's not forget, she does this from the point of view of a wombat, close to the ground and at mercy of the elements. As the verses progress through sand, smoke, rain, and light, your little one will have more chances to empathize with our furry little wombat. And while the words evoke the fun and familiar, the pictures present you with beautiful colors and landscapes. The wombats take a meandering path across the beach, through the scrub, into the country forests, and back out the coast again. The illustrator, Mark, builds up so many layers of colors and textures, both in the wombats as well as in the surroundings. I can see the wind buffeting the seagulls. I can feel the joyful splash of the wombats in a pool at the end of an ashen trail. The stones are reddish-gray on the underside on a sun-soaked beach, and the forests are a eucalyptus blue. Just incredible illustrations. This book works so well in so many ways, and it really gets me excited as an example of the perfect marriage of words and pictures. I hope you guys like it too, and I'll catch up with you next time for another picture book review. Bye! I had so much fun talking to Elisa. I learnt heaps from that chat. Elisa's League of Llamas series is available for purchase from the 3rd of March. Uh, you can check out how to order your very own copies by going to www.penguin.com.au. To celebrate the launch, Elisa has given us a signed copy of her book to give away. We thought it would be fun to honour Elisa's start in writing by running a 25-word or less competition. So here's how to enter. In 25 words or less, tell Totally Lit what animal you would be if you were an animal secret agent and what your secret code name would be. I'm going to shortlist five entries and the winner will be judged by Elisa herself. Please send your entries to totallylitpodcast at gmail.com. Okay, we've got a quick mood change now. I thought I'd take some time to share some of my own work with you in this episode. This is my entry into the 2017 Hunter Writers' Centre Grieve Project. Um, it placed third, and it's on page number 16 of their anthology. I know exactly what page it's on. Um, I was really super proud when I had placed in this competition and got to see my words in print for the very first time. It was like the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. Um, so um, I cherish this piece of work. This competition, it really made me realise I could transform my little writing dream into something more. This also means a lot to me because it's dedicated to my beautiful nanny Mins. She was my grandmother and friend and we lost her over 22 years ago. Um, a lot of who I am is because of her love, um, so this is close to my heart. So I will give you my reading of Deep Breath and Heartbeats. I was convinced my heart would stop beating the minute yours did. That I would no longer draw breath once your breath had ceased. I could not exist if you did not exist. Yet on the day you went away, I was caught by surprise. Fate or God or whoever decides the way of these things pointed their cold finger in your direction and your heart stopped dead. Yet my treacherous heart continued to pump blood through my veins. It continued its rhythmic drumming without even missing a beat. Your breath drifted up from your lungs and out through your open mouth, and that was that. Prepared to never take a breath again, I expelled all the air from my lungs. But despite my convictions, the air crept in, gradually and deceptively. 
My chest rose and fell, just as it had every day since my birth. I cursed my body for its bloody-minded mechanical insistence on functioning as bodies were designed to function, and its incessant will to live. Did it not know that today was not just any day? Today was the day you went away. I wasn't prepared for what you would look like. I'd never seen a dead body before. It was you, yet not you. Mostly I remember your eyes, clear blue glass marbles. There was no sign of you there, of where you had been. I searched for you in those eyes, but you were just a shell with no evidence of your mortal coil. The afternoon before you left, I sat beside your hospital bed, holding your hand. It was so peaceful there, so quiet, like there was only you and I left in the world. The phone didn't ring, the nurses were busy with other patients, it was just you and me. You drifted in and out of sleep as I kept my silent vigil. At some point, I inadvertently nodded off, my exhaustion catching me off guard. Together we shared a dreamless sleep. When I awoke, I'd managed to climb up next to you in your bed, clutching you as if you would disappear into vapour, then and there in my arms. It was our last afternoon together. The phone call came at three in the morning. The type of phone call that only ever comes at three in the morning. You were gone. I stood in my lounge room as my body continued to live when yours had chosen not to. It didn't seem possible to be in a world where you no longer existed. Yet my breath continued in and out and my heart had not stopped cold. The clock still ticked, the earth still turned and the sun still shone. The birds did not fall from the sky. It's been 20 years of deep breaths and heartbeats and yet I will still weep for you as if it was only a moment ago. As if our last afternoon together was only yesterday. Sorry, got a bit choked up there. That's about my beautiful nanny. The Grieve Riding Competition is currently open to submissions. Entries close Monday 25th of May at 8pm. You can find out more information about guidelines and how to enter at www.hunterwriterscentre.org. And thank you for listening. Okay, now I told you I was going to start sharing a bit more about myself, so that last segment you got a little bit more about uh, me. Now I'm going to tell you about all my riding adventures, um, so what Kylie did. So the last couple of months have been crazy with riding activity for me in between work and family and things. Um, so here are all the things that I've been doing. So the podcast, of course, that's keeping me out of mischief. It, it's super fun because I get to talk to some amazing people and then share it with all, all you wonderful listeners. I attended Karen Tyrrell's workshop, Get Booked, School Visits and Author Events Masterclass. Um, that was really fun. In the workshop, Karen showed us how to present fun, engaging author events for schools, libraries and festivals. And it covered a step-by-step -step guide on presenting interactive author talks, storytelling, pantomimes, readers' theatre, puppets and writing workshops. Yeah, it was lots of fun. Taught me a lot about how to engage if you're out at a school or with your audience. Um, if you'd like to check out any of Karen's future workshops, you can go to www.karentyrrell.com. 
So what else have I done? I've submitted a couple of picture book manuscripts to Affirm Press and Little Pink Dog Books. Um, keep your fingers crossed, everyone. Hopefully something might come out of that. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting down revising my um, picture book manuscripts and writing some new ones and just developing some new ideas uh, to submit out into the world. Um, I took part in a pitch party on Twitter. This was cool. Um, I put One of my pitches got retweeted 10 times. I was like, oh, they like that one. That's good. The idea is that you pitch on Twitter and that agents and um, publishers can see your, your uh, pitch and then they like that if they, they're interested in that, then you can um, submit that to them for them to look at uh, the larger manuscript. Um, I'll definitely be doing it again because it, it made lots of connections with the writing community while I was doing that. If you want to get involved, um, I know there's a number of different pitch parties that go on Twitter. The one I did was the picture book pitch party. Um, so if you jump on Twitter and follow PB Pitch, you can um, see when they'll next do one. So they run a pitch party about four times a year. And that's about all I've been doing. It seems like not a lot yet, a lot at the same time. <laughs> um, I'll be super excited the day that I can say to you guys oh my goodness I've got something published but yeah hopefully that will be soon but you never know in this industry but uh, part of the reason I'm doing the podcast is just to share share what I'm doing um, and encourage everybody else as well and also just the, the people who've been supporting me I just want to be able to give back um, so thank you for everybody for listening to this month's podcast and uh, don't forget to go out to read, write, create and ignite thank you mm-hmm.